0: This morning's reading is from Jonah, chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Let's pray together. Let's pray that God would speak to our hearts. Father God, thank you for the scriptures. And as we read them and as I speak, I pray you'd send your Holy Spirit to give me the help I need and to give each of us understanding and a willingness to surrender to you afresh. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's lovely to see you all. Welcome or welcome back. Or welcome online, if that's where you are. And today we're beginning a new sermon series. And it's about one of the most curious personalities, I think, we find in the whole of Scripture. The man, Jonah. Jonah is not... Your average profit, if there is such a thing as an average prophet. And you can tell that from the off because the moment God tells him to go in one direction, he deliberately runs off in the opposite direction. From the word go, and the word go comes very early on in the book of Jonah, he tries to run away from God. How stupid can you get? Because how fast do you have to run if you're going to run away from God? Do you think anyone can sprint fast enough to get out of his orbit? No. He is the most reluctant, disobedient, rebellious prophet in the Old Testament, I think. And yet, and yet, he's also one of those, and you can count them on the fingers of both hands, whom God has worked through to bring revival to a whole nation. And what I think is so fascinating about him, as we'll discover week by week, is we'd have no way of knowing quite how rebellious, obtuse, truculent, and stubborn he was, except that he's painfully honest about himself and chooses to reveal to his readers his faults, failures, and somewhat crummy character, all of which make him accessible and intriguing, I think. This book starts with Jonah in a mess, and it ends with Jonah in a mess. And if you and I had been Jonah, I'll wager with you most of us would have chosen to omit chapter one, omit chapter four, possibly not include chapter two, and you'd have a much shorter book. But it's all the more interesting and we can learn all the more from it because he is so upfront about life as it really happened. Now, We need to get a couple of things out of the way before we dig into this book. The first thing is where to find the book of Jonah. Now, not many of you look as if you're looking at Bibles anyway, but what I was going to say is the easiest way to find the book of Jonah is to look it up in the index. So if you're looking at it online, do that, because it's a short book tucked in Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. It's difficult to find. The second thing one has to deal with Because if you say the name Jonah, uh, most people will associate him with a whale. And you want to know, so is it true? Was he swallowed by a great fish? And if you Google this, there are pages and pages of references that you can use to satisfy your curiosity. And it's up to you what you make of it. I'm copying out of that one. Except for me, it's good enough that Jesus seems to treat Jonah as a historic person who actually existed and in Matthew chapter 12 verse 40 refers to the three days and nights that he spent in the belly of a fish there is a man called Jonah who's referenced in the book of two kings chapter 14 and if it's the same guy and it might well be then this book dates to about eighth century BC but now we're going to dig into the text itself and the first thing I want us to notice is what happens What happens when God called Jonah. And I'm going to read the first couple of verses. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, some of us will remember a series that appeared first on television and then was made into a films called Mission Impossible. And the way these films started was formulaic. The, the character, you'd see him in front of a large, often old-fashioned tape recorder, and it would begin like this. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is dot, dot, dot. And then at the end of that, the, the tape would go up in smoke just to add to the intrigue and mystery. Well, it's like, Jonah gets this call. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is. And what he should have done, of course, what he should have done is he he should have written in his prayer journal, spoiler alert, revivals on the way. He should have sent round a prayer letter to all his mates in the synagogue. He should have got his hands on the best worship leader he could have found. He should have gone to a travel agent and found a cheap ticket to Nineveh. And then after packing a few extra scrolls in case an evangelistic opportunity came, off he should have gone. But that's not how the book begins. So far, absolutely not. In fact, it struck me as we were singing those songs, Jonah couldn't have joined in any of them. I'm running to your arms, no way. I'm running away. I'm running away. This mission's not for me. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, no thank you very much. And that's the point of what the scriptures are telling us. Joppa and Tarshish were at the opposite ends of the earth. You couldn't get further in their known world one from the other. And he decides, I'm out of here. Later on, we'll discover, not today, but in a, a later chapter, we'll discover more precisely why it is that he doesn't like this mission. And it's not for reasons you might think. But we should note, even at this stage, that There are some pretty good reasons why he gulps when he hears the voice of God. Being sent off to talk to the Ninevites or proclaim something to them is being sent to people who have a reputation for their savagery and their brutality, deliberately. Today it would be like sent to being sent to witness to the Taliban in Afghanistan or to Iraq or to any part of the world where the ruling regime is known for its brutality and its hostility to believers. That was the mission he was being sent on. And it's not just the physical danger that challenges Jonah, as a matter of fact. It's the commission that the word of the Lord gives to him. Yes, he is afraid of the people, But he's also uncomfortable with the message he's charged to deliver. And I think we should just stop and notice this that whenever the word of the Lord comes to you, to me, we're going to be challenged. Whenever the word of the Lord comes, we're going to be challenged. It's going to be powerful, but it's not going to be comfortable. Your phone, most probably, like my phone, can take more than one ringtone. And it seems to me that when Jesus speaks into our life, he uses very often two ringtones. One is a ringtone of assurance. And when he rings you with that ringtone, it's to hear things like this, come to me, all of you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. And it's to hear things like this, I have to come to bring you life, Life to the full. And there are many, many, many other things that he says on that ringtone, and we love it. We lap it up, and it's comforting. Things like a bruised reed, he doesn't break. But the other ringtone, and sometimes his calls seem to take on both aspects, is not so much a tone of assurance as a demand for assistance. Go into all the world and make disciples. Disciples. There's an order to what he says. There's an order to what God says. And it's very much come and go. Come, follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. It's not not surprising. One of the saints of history says, if this is how you treat your friends, I'm not surprised you've got so few of them. It's a challenge as well as a comfort. And... You know, like I know, that the word of the Lord has come to us, just as it came to Jonah, and we have been commissioned. Jesus sends out the disciples, doesn't he? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all nations, and I'm with you always to the ends of the earth. And I'm not sure there ever has been an easy time or an easy road towards revival, and it wasn't easy for Jonah. Jonah. And he really seriously didn't like the message he was entrusted to deliver. And the clue is in the sending. Go and preach against Nineveh. Well, none of us like confrontation. None of us like being sent with a message that's gonna rub people up the wrong way. Preach against this city. And I'm pretty sure he's saying to himself, I don't want to deliver a message like that. Because the thing is, sharing God's truth is also two toned. There's a ring of truth, which is appealing. There's more love found in Jesus on the cross than you can find anywhere else. But there's also a sense in which it contrasts with everything else that's going on around you. And it's going to be confrontational to present the truth. And I think that's more true for us today than it has been at any other time in a generation. The same truths are heard differently. It's considered rude or inappropriate or embarrassing to promote one religion as superior to another. And Christianity doesn't do that. Christianity presents Christ as superior to all other religions. He is either the Lord of all or he's nothing. And that's a very inconvenient truth if it's true. No wonder people are jittery about talking about God. If Jesus can say no one comes to the Father except through me, then even in that sentence, you are like preaching against a whole society. Well, Jonah knows exactly what to do in the face of such a commission. He just says, I'm out of here. I'm going on a a world cruise. Count me out. And he books in on his cruise and he goes downstairs, verse 5, and he falls fast asleep. When Jonah heard the call, he was alarmed and he hit the snooze button. That's the point. And he settled down and disaster nearly comes on the ship. Now, the second angle on this chapter I want to look at is this. What happens when God's messengers doze off? What happens when God's messengers doze off, go to sleep on the job? Well, R.T. Kendall in his uh, sermon series, he just made a very simple point here that a Christian believer on the run is like someone who's going to sleep or gone to sleep in so many ways or sleeping, sleepwalking through life. Just like jonah god's ambassadors seem to go to sleep when they're most need to be awake and when jonah's asleep the situation goes from bad to worse and i think it's easy to parallel this if god's kingdom people take a collective nap is it surprising that things become less and less godly of course it isn't surprising it's just like going to sleep at the will. you don't expect something good to happen next and when he wakes up, he sees, well, it's a storm and chaos all around him. Now, there's a problem with going to sleep. <laughs> I've seen people asleep in all sorts of places, and I've fallen asleep in all sorts of places. You know, people fall to sleep in concerts. They fall asleep in plays. I've seen people asleep in lectures. I've even seen people asleep in churches. My favorite place to fall asleep is Lord's Cricket Ground. And the thing is, when you wake up, you don't know what you've missed. And you don't even remember, most times, falling asleep. It just sort of comes upon you. And I have this feeling that historians of social history will look back on the last five and ten years and just say, where was the church? Where were God's people? Where was their voice? Were they lulled into a slumber? How can it be that so many laws were passed in which a Judeo-Christian ethical understanding just isn't there. Just think. I mean, you don't have to think very hard or very long. The law's about the sanctity of life, both the beginning and the end of life. The law's about the sanctity of sex, pretty much the sanctity of anything, because the whole idea of sanctity has just up for grabs. And when God's messengers, you and me, muzzle ourselves, then other voices are going to get heard more and louder, and louder. And while Jonah's been dozing off below decks, catastrophe has been coming upon the whole ship. How can you sleep, they ask. And he was saying, I didn't even know I was asleep. Well, more interesting still is is to think what woke Jonah up. What was his wake-up call that really did work? And here's the thing. He came to realise in an instant that he actually had the answer to the questions that the people were asking. When they hit a crisis, they turned to him and they just pour questions all over him, verse 8. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And I think, fortunately, it's a remarkable and peculiar thing But if you and I have ever walked closely with God, you can never quite shake off his presence. And you can never quite forget what it is to be close to the Lord. Once you've walked close with God, I'm not sure you ever can be fully convincing trying to wear an invisibility cloak. And the people ask him all these questions, and it's like it brings him to his senses, It's like he realizes, my goodness, I've drifted from here to here, and I've got an answer for these people. And in a trice, in verse 9, he he comes clean. He drops his cover, and it's like he pulls himself together, and he just declares it as it is. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, who is the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And it's like, he just decides he's going to stand up and be counted. Now, I I want to ask us this question. What would it take to wake you up from your slumbers? Is there a possibility that we ourselves have just been drifting? And can you see, like I can see in here, that there is never a good time to deny what you know of Jesus Christ? And to actually decide to come clean and to declare your faith is both to strengthen your own faith and to lead others towards the way. And your story and my story, I want us to get this really, is incredibly powerful. If you've got a true story of encountering Jesus Christ and knowing him personally, that is the most wonderful story in the world, whether it's spectacular or not. It's not the marks out of 10 for difficulty that count. It's the integrity of your story that counts. It, it's the best story in the world, which is why I can never quite understand when I've sometimes met parents who are shy of talking to their children about their faith. Because it's the most wonderful thing you could share with them. And I do want to reassure you that no testimony of meeting God and following him is a boring story. I want to share one with you. Because there was a time quite some years ago now when I was on the staff of a large church in Oxford and had a large staff team and we routinely met together. I think there were probably about 20 of us in the room most weeks when we had a staff meeting. I would have been in my uh, late 20s when this happened. And um, the vicar of the church said, I need a little team to go into a local school and I want um, three volunteers to tell their story. Of how they became followers of Jesus. And it was a little caucus amongst the staff team of recent undergraduates. So they're all in, in their early 20s. And they very mockingly picked on a member of staff called Jane and said, Oh, Jane, you'll do. And, and I watched as this girl just went bright red, just bright red. And I felt very, very sorry for her. I didn't know her. Uh, I didn't do student work in that church. But I I, I came alongside her later that morning and said, Jane, I could see what was going on, don't know what's behind it, but they're obviously mocking you and you're embarrassed, but I want to hear your story. And she said, yeah, well, they were mocking me and I felt very, very awkward. And because my story is so stupid, she said, and so it's sort of ridiculous. I said, well, I doubt it is stupid. I want to hear it. And she said, well, okay, this this is the story. She said, when I was about four years old, I was playing mummies with my best friend another girl about age four, and we were just mopping the kitchen floor up. And um, my friend, best friend said, Jane, do you know Jesus as your friend? And I said, no. And she told me about Jesus, and I put down my mop, and I prayed a prayer that Jesus would be my friend. And he is today, all those years later. That's my story. And I said to her, that is the best story in the world. And frankly, I still think it is. And if your heart doesn't melt with it, I'm sorry for you. (laughs) Because it's a touching story. And the thing is, every story that has truth in it is a moving, powerful story. Your story of how God captured your attention and you became one of his family is the most precious, precious thing, story you have to tell. And we should never hide it. We should never hide it. And it's true for this church, isn't it? If if we're to be a church of any value at all, we have to be prepared to talk about Jesus at the centre of our story. That's how people come to know him. And it's like Jonah, obviously he can't talk about Jesus because Jesus hasn't been yet, but he can confess his faith in the living God. And you and I can confess our faith in the living God. But I'm going to give you a warning If you start praying for opportunities to do this, you will get them. And when you get them, you'll have to make a split-second decision whether you actually come clean and do a Jonah and come clean or or do the other Jonah and do a runner. But the way that God starts to move is when we start to stand up and speak out for him. Appropriately, when you get asked the right questions, not, not in a bullying sort of way. Well it gets a little bit more complex very quickly because along with being willing to talk the talk as he is, Jonah has to be willing to walk the walk, and he is. And so in verse 12, he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. I know it's my fault. This great storm has come upon you. And the sailors say, uh, no, we won't do that. It's not really what we want to do at all. So let me read you what they do say in verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, but they couldn't for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for the killing of an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you please. And then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, for they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And the word Lord there is in capitals, that means to Yahweh. And so what we get to see, but Jonah never saw, was the consequence of his obedience and his forthrightness was the men become followers of Yahweh. Even when you and I decide to speak out about the living God that we know and love, you might never see the fruit of your obedience, but there will be fruit. There is never a good time to go silent about Jesus and to deny him. And to speak for him could be incredibly costly as it was for Jonah. And I think this first chapter also tells us something that people choose to forget and don't like to notice, but I want to mention. Sometimes in conversation, people say sort of half-jokingly, I think, that they will turn to God on their deathbed. They say, you know, well, look, I know this, that, and the other, but, you know, at the last moment, I'll, I'll turn to God. And what they've got wrong is two things about that. Number one, of course, it's pretty obvious. We don't always know when our last moment will be. So it's, it's, you're, you're kidding yourself if you think that's going to be easy to arrange. But the second thing is this. Scripture teaches us that when you wander away from God, it's not always easy to find your way back. In fact, there's a lot of clues in Scripture that the further you let yourself go from God's presence the harder you will find it, and you may never get another chance to actually turn back and reconnect. Which is why in the Psalms it says, if today you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Had Jonah just put his fingers in his ears at this point and just not come clean, I don't think we'd be reading about the book of Jonah. I don't know what would have happened, but you never know if you get another chance to repent and start again. So if ever you feel and God is actually leading you back into his presence and you have a chance, just a chance to say, let's start again, let's reset the game, take it, take it, take it. That's what Jonah did, but it was very costly for him as he gets thrown into the sea. But obedience is what brought Jonah back into the game and it will be the same for you and for me and what happens next well that's up to God and we're told tantalizingly at the end of a chapter God provides a huge fish and now the adventure is just ready to begin let's pray father God we thank you for this book of Jonah And it occurs to me that you knew him very, very well. When you commissioned him, you were not surprised that he ran off in the opposite direction and you didn't uh, throw him out of your plan, as it were. And you're not surprised by us this morning either. Whether we're close to you or far from you is not a surprise. But our prayer would be that we would unblock our ears and we would say, yes, Lord, And our prayer would be that if we've heard your commission and know that we're ambassadors for you, our prayer would be that we'll never be ashamed of you and we'll always be ready to be counted as your friends. We pray, Lord, that like Jonah, we would be much more awake and alert to the questions people are asking and able to speak of you in a way that's compelling and
0: full of integrity, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.